0: Welcome to the Talking Security podcast, we will talk about security-related news, attacks, vulnerabilities, and tools. Welcome at a new episode of Talking Security. My name is Frans Arundorp, and I am your host today. And from the Netherlands, I have with me Stefan van der Wiede. He is one of the program managers on Azure AD at Microsoft. Hi Stefan,
1: welcome in our show. Thanks, awesome. Um, What is your role at Microsoft at the moment? So I'm a senior program manager in the Microsoft Identity division. Um, Basically our division builds, uh, we're building every identity product, uh, every Microsoft identity product. So it goes from on-prem Active Directory to of course uh, Azure Active Directory, which is our cloud product.
0: Yeah, and uh, what I saw in your profile, um, there was some dance radio activity.
1: Oh yeah, correct. Yeah, so um, actually, that uh, I, I'm, so I've been owning my own online radio station for a while. Uh, this year, it's actually been ten years since I started the radio station. For me, ra- radio has been a big passion um, already. Where I, when I was very young, I, I I still remember when I was at. Uh, uh, when I was little, that me and my friends we recorded a radio show on a on a cassette and then played it in front of the classroom, uh, and that basically involved in me being uh, a DJ at a few local stations. But then at some point, I was like, I wanna, I have an idea of how I want a radio station to sound. So with the possibilities that the internet brings us today, uh, I created my own station. But I wanted to combine it with the with my IT. Fashion. so i just automated everything around it so the only thing i need to do every week is just put in some new mu- music move some music around and then all everything around it will just go automatically yeah so that's uh, that's that one so uh, yeah that, that keeps me busy during the weekends
0: awesome great and if we go back to work uh, yeah. why <laughs> why is the identity uh, well, that's the division we work for mm-hmm. uh, why is the identity so important
1: if you if you look at the, the current day and especially I think now during these times how people work it's it's not um, it, it it's not connected to a specific location or a specific device. Um, so in in from that point of view uh, the identity is basically the only common thing if you look into all those scenarios. Um, so I used to do a slide deck where I took some pictures from all my travel, and it was me standing in London, looking at my phone, checking my email, and then me sitting in a hotel room somewhere in the Middle East on a different device, checking my email. And then the first question I would ask the audience would be, what is similar between those pictures? Uh, because it's it's a different device, it's a different location, um, but the only thing similar there is the identity and that's why we say identity is the control plane basically identity is controlling the access you have to different different data to resources to the things that are important to the to the company um, so that's why we see identity especially now with people working from home working from different locations being very important to protect and also to make sure that make it as easy as possible for people to use it but still in a secure way so I think that's, that's the, where the importance of the of, of identity in general or identity management and everything around it comes from. Yeah.
0: And if you look into the security perspective of the identity, um, Microsoft is pushing multi-factor for every user. Yep. Why is it so important that the customers activate multi-factor for the whole organization and not only for admins?
1: So if, if you look at the most of the uh, attacks that were happening today are identity related. So people using a reusing credentials, people using a, a, an easy to guess password. Uh, and when I when I got the credentials of a user, I have the keys to the castle. I can go in, I can get the data, I can get information. So by enabling multi-factor authentication, it basically means that if if I would have that username and password i there's always a second step that needs to happen to verify that it's really you trying to access the data and from uh, if so we looked at our numbers uh, within Azure Active Directory and we've seen that ninety nine point nine and there are actually a little bit more nines behind that comma of the attacks are being stopped by mFA so that means that if an attacker got my username and password, but then the next step is you need to enter a code, you need to approve a push notification, then the attacker needs to do an extra step and get that information or put something in between it to tackle that. And also to answer your question on why it's important to enable it for for everyone, what you see a lot of times is that I get the credentials of someone, someone who's working in a store, for example, which which is pretty easy. But then I can take those credentials to get myself access to Um, to the organization, and then move through that organization, gathering more information, more credentials, and then lifting my permissions up within the organization and getting more details out. So that's also the reason why we say you need to enable MFA for everyone to make sure that nobody just get access to the data, but you always have that second step. That's also the reason why we made MFA free for everyone. So if you look into uh, Azure Active Directory, we have something called security defaults which is on by default for every new tenant. And a tenant is an instance of Azure Active Directory. And that forces the users to register for MFA using the Authenticator app. But it also, what it also does, it, it asks for MFA, but only when we see there's a specific risk. And I think that's the other important thing to keep in mind when you're looking to deploying second factor or multiple factors, is that in the end, the end user also needs to be able to, to cope with it, to work with it. And what we actually seen, um, I think this was a year ago, half a year ago, is that there were some apps popping up in the Android App Store, in the Google Play Store, which automatically approved an MFA notification for people. And I think this is a really interesting one where it indicates that with that app, it's actually taking away the advantage of having that second factor because it automatically approves. But it also proves that it's really important to find the balance between end user productivity and end user usability and security to make sure that both of them work. And that's why with the free MFA, we only prompt for MFA when we see a certain risk based on all kinds of calculations that happen under the hood. So I think those things, combined are very important for an MFA impl- implementation.
0: yeah and if you look at at MFA, also the second factor can be a one-time password token. Many customers are getting questions ab- about it uh, because they need that tokens. Mm -hmm. Do you know why customers need a physical token instead of an an, an app or an SMS or something? Uh,
1: There there are actually multiple reasons there. Um, One of the key things that we've, we've seen, and it also depends on the country that you're in, is for an end user not being able to use their phone as a second factor. Why? They maybe don't have a phone or a company phone. They're not allowed to use their private phone or they don't want to use their private phone as a second factor. But there are also places where phones are not allowed. Think of a, a lab environment, for example, where you cannot bring in your phone and need something else there. If you if you look if you would ask me what be be the answer there would be looking to um, looking to Fido tokens, and we can we can talk about that later as well. But the the reason you see so, uh, the request for auth tokens or those one-time password tokens is that a lot of companies already invested into those tokens. So they have been distributed. They're there. The users know how to use them. Uh, so they want to reuse that functionality uh, with Azure with AD. Uh, and it's something that is available as a second factor today, and we're working on more options there. But I think if you, if, if you look from a future perspective, I would highly recommend to look into the passwordless way FIDO 2 tokens, Windows Hello for business, those are the things that we see as, as a future way of authenticating. Yeah,
0: one other question that I have, one of your presentation abstracts that I read on, on, on Sessionize was about passwordless. Mm-hmm. What is in passwordless world? How can we achieve that?
1: Yeah, So, the, and this is the interesting thing with going passwordless because it's not something that is here today. Uh, and that's also one thing I talk about during my presentation. It's actually a journey that you can start today. So if you look at uh, going passwordless, it basically means I don't have a password anymore. I have a different way to authenticate myself. And we provide three of those ways. So one of them is Windows Hello for Business. The other one is the Authenticator app. And the third one are FIDO2 tokens. Um, if we look at those three methods, only the Windows Hello for Business is generally available today. So it's not in, in, in preview. Um, So that's the one thing if you were to look into how would my passwordless journey look. First thing, go look at Windows Hello for Business if you haven't deployed that. Because it's second factor out of the box, it's passwordless, and it's very easy, and and there it comes again, very easy to use for the end user. I just put my face in front of my machine, I'm signed in, and actually, uh, because it's something I have, which is my device, and something I know, or basically in this case, it's my face, it's two-factor by default. And it's very easy to use for an end user and gives you a single sign-on to all connected resources. But it requires specific hardware that needs, for for example, think about a fingerprint or a camera, something that is verified for Windows Hello for Business. And it also requires you to run Windows 10. Um, So think of uh, a mobile device, think of a Mac device. Maybe there are folks running older versions of Windows that doesn't support Windows Hello for Business and that's why we introduced the the other option so authenticator app basically means that taking a second factor and putting it first so we we talked about that push notification that i can have in the authenticator app as a second factor but what we do now is taking it as a first factor that means i'm signing in i'm signing into uh, an application and instead of entering my password, I get a push notification on my device. I just put my finger on it or I show my face using face ID and, I get, and, I'm, and I'm signed in. Then if you look into that and to continue on the piece that maybe you cannot use a phone, maybe you don't have a phone and you're still on that MacBook or you're still on, on a different device that doesn't support Windows Hello no for business. And that's where we come up with the FIDO2 devices. So FIDO2 is a standard Uh, and it's maintained by the FIDO Alliance. Uh, FIDO Alliance is an alliance, not only of Microsoft, it's Google, it's Facebook, it's luckily since a few months also uh, also Apple, uh, and there are a lot more companies there that come together. Whole goal of the FIDO Alliance is to come up with a standard, which is very secure, but also very easy to use. Um, So if you look at FIDO2, and you got all different types of tokens, the benefit of, of it, um, if you look into uh, against the phone authentication or Windows allow for business, is that it, it's a token. It's a hardware token. So that means that I can it's NFC. So I can use it with my phone. I can use it with my laptop. It's not specific to only Windows. And it's portable. So it can be very uh, useful in some, let's say, frontline worker type of scenarios where I don't al- always use the same PC. It's also two-factor by default. So it's something I have and something I know, which could be a pin or could be a fingerprint. Those two options, last two options, so the authenticator app and the FIDO keys are in in preview. And definitely if you look from an onboarding perspective, there are some steps we need to take today. Um, I get a token, I need to enroll my token and map it to my account, but I don't have a password. I don't know a password because I'm passwordless. How am I gonna enroll that on the first day? And those are the things that we're working on today. So if you look into the going, password, going to a passwordless world, go have a look at Windows, uh, Windows Hello for Business. If you haven't yet, start a pilot. Go look into the Authenticate rep and how it can help you in specific scenarios, uh, do a POC. And the same goes for the FIDO2 keys. Have a look into how it works and how, which type of scenarios it can help you do a POC. And, and I can give you a great scenario for a FIDO2 key. That would be that break glass account, that glass administrator that you want to protect. Just unroll it with that Breakless account, put the key into a vault, close it, and only when you really need it, you just have you just uh, have that key, and that account is protected with two factors by default as well. Uh, so that's one thing we're pushing people to try FIDO2 with their Break glass accounts or at admin-
0: uh, That's a great one because I, I, these days. Uh, The break loss accounts uh, normally are configured uh, without a second factor, and it's great to have that that option available for that. Maybe you know, if we look into MFA and Windows, MFA and Windows 10, Windows Hello, with Windows Hello, I can always use my password as a fallback. Mm -hmm. Is this something that will change in the future? Do you know? Or You can't get an answer
1: on that. Oh, I can definitely. One thing we definitely want to get rid of passwords in general, uh, period. Uh, but there are a lot of scenarios where applications or things still require a password. So, for for example, with with older apps, uh, we even do it when you SUAD join your machine and you want to have access to to the on-prem environment. If you provide your username and password, we take those credentials and get a Kerberos token on behalf of you. Uh, from the local domain controller. Uh, and that doesn't work, for example, with a FIDO key. And also as a backup, uh, let's say I use my phone or, or I use Windows Hello for Business to sign in, but my camera is broken. My fingerprint reader doesn't work. And of course, you still got the backup to go with a PIN, but something goes wrong. What, how do you sign into your machine? And, we, and we're looking into how can we get fully rid of that password, but we need to solve those type of things to get fully rid of it. There's one thing, and it's not in the SUAD space, but uh, as I said, as Identity Division, we build all identity products. So we're actually working, and hopefully it will show up in a few months, on the feature to fully disable your password for your Microsoft account, so your MSA account. Uh, there will be a button that will say, disable password, and we actually remove your password from the backend. Backup methods for that one would be, uh, I use a FIDO key as a primary sign-in, but I have a fallback email address or a phone number, so we can text you with a recovery code to get back into your account.
0: So that's first for the Microsoft accounts. Yeah. Uh, next steps will be taken later on. Um, exactly. If you look into identity governance, mm-hmm. because when I publish an app in Azure AD, I can add some people to it, I can add a group to it, mm-hmm. but. If I know that some people must release access or they are going away from the company and still get access to to an app on a guest account and that's sort of, that sort of stuff is identity governance helping with that
1: definitely so so identity governance is all around giving the and now I need to do this out of the top of my head normally it's on a slide the right people the right uh, the right access and, and there, there's actually a third one but Uh, But it's basically around that, right, I I want to, two things, I want to make sure that my data is only available to people who need access to that data, but I also want to make sure that people who need to do their job have access to the right stuff. How frustrating it, it is when you just start your new job on the first day, you open up your machine, you need to go to a portal, no access. You need to call someone, you need to get that access. So all the tools that we're looking into around identity governance are based on that access and making sure that people have the right access, but also getting rid of access. Because joiner processes, movers, mover processes are maybe even a little bit harder to build, but joiner is pretty easy. Create an account and add it to a group. But then someone is moving around the company and how to make sure that he now don't have access anymore to this specific application or this specific group or SharePoint site and only to this one. And that's where uh, the entitlement lifecycle management piece of the Azure AD identity governance uh, really helps because it it gives you a access package because access is not only around access to an application. It can be to a SharePoint site. It can be to a group. It can be to anything in, 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 in an external app. So this access package contains all those resources that you need, including the roles that you need to do, uh, to do your job. And then we can build a policy around such an access package saying, this access package is only available for this set of people within my company, or actually even this access package is only available for people from Contoso who can, who can request access and get access to those resources. This is the, the joiner, the creation process, but then the mover and lever process. And that's also where things like access reviews come into the picture. So we can say every 30 days, the owner of those resources need to verify that the users that have access to those resources still need it. And if they still need it, you need to put in a reason why they need it, and that will be audited. And that type of information can be used in audits when you need to prove that you protect everything right uh, within your company. Uh, But what also happens, if you would indicate that this user doesn't need that access anymore, we can automatically remove the user from that access package and making sure that the user only has the access that I need. Yeah,
0: great. Because with that access reviews, the owner is in control Mm -hmm. and and not the IT department where it now comes and they they ask IT department to uh, remove, add users. And now the owner can do it by itself.
1: Exactly, and the IT department can focus on putting in cool new stuff like passwordless uh, type of yeah. scenarios. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I have two other topics that I would like to discuss with you. Privileged identity management and identity protections, they're both P2 features of Azure AD. Correct, yeah. Let's start with privileged identity management. What's the m- most important thing for that feature uh, that companies can use or why
1: should they use that? So privilege identity management is all around making sure that, that you only have the access that you need as an, in a privileged role, so as an administrator. So that means that I'm, I'm maintaining exchange, but I don't need to be an exchange administrator 24-7 um, because I only need it for some, maybe for some specific tasks. So what we want to do here is mitigate the risk of if such an account gets breached, what it can do within the organization. So instead of making it a making that person a permanent exchange administrator, we make it an eligible role. That means that I can go into privileged identity management and say, this Friday we have a maintenance window, so I want to get access. I I need to be an exchange admin for two hours. So you will specify the date and the time that you need to be that admin. Put in a reason. Do an extra second factor to prove that it's really you, and you can even put an approval behind it. So the the product owner for Exchange Online, in this case, need to approve that you're gonna be an admin. Uh, and after those two hours, your rights will be removed. That means that I'm now going down on the street, someone ask me what my password is, and I would just tell them, they're not that Exchange administrator, they're a, they're a regular user. Uh, so this is all around protecting those privileged accounts.
0: And it's mostly focusing on Admins, admins on yeah and on in, in a company correct. and then admin roles in the azure active directory but also on azure
1: uh, correct yeah so it, it it's not only for azure ad and azure ad related roles because azure ad roles are also exchange roles and SharePoint roles uh, but it's also azure roles so i can create a role that will tell me I, you can sh- you can shut down you can shut down this vm and i can put that in privileged identity management and going back to that maintenance window on friday evening I need to shut down or reboot that specific VM so I can only get those rights for two hours that I need the right to shut down that VM. And after that, they will be automatically removed.
0: If you look into identity protection, identity protection is all about the the things that are happening around the identity. So logging in from an IP address and that sort of stuff. But I think there is also machine learning
1: on the back end uh, that helps. There's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, so there's a if you look at identity protection, uh, there's a reason we chose to focus on the level of risk and not the specific detections, uh, because we do have a lot of detections and we do have what we call real-time uh, detections and offline, uh, offline detections. Real-time means that I'm now signing in with a user account and I'm using a Tor browser. We can see the IP address, so we can report that as being a suspicious activity. And that's the cool thing with identity protection where it integrates with the rest of the product whereas where I was talking about end user usability. Normally I don't need to do multifactor authentication but because I'm now for some reason using a full browser to access this resource, we wanna verify if it's really you because this is unexpected behavior. So based on that information from identity protection, we're gonna, we're gonna give you an MFA prompt now because this is suspicious. Uh, so the anonymous IP addresses is just one detection. There are really a lot, and we're adding more detections basically every month. But the other thing that is, that is there is the offline detection. That means that I've signed in from a specific location with specific properties. So this is my type of browser. This is the resource I'm trying to access. This is the time of day, uh, all these type of things. That we put into machine learning, and we're going to verify to see you signed in. Putting this all together... Was this a was this really you or could it be someone else, and then report that afterwards as being a suspicious activity, putting that in the portal as well um giving the company the ability to see okay this account could be uh, this account could be stolen maybe we should reset the password maybe we should add mFA to this account to make to protecting our our environment
0: yeah and if you look into identity protection if we if, if a user is and marked as a risky user, mm-hmm. then on itself it does nothing. But when you look into conditional access, that's also part of identity. Then it's all then it's all comes together, and we can block a user to access applications and all that sort of stuff.
1: Correct. Yeah. Based on based on that risk, and, and by the way, uh, not everything around identity protection is a Azure adp two licensing feature we actually already give you information about if an identity is under a specific risk with the free version. It's a limited set of insights that we give you. You cannot take that, what you said, you cannot take action based on that risk, but we even in the free version, we already give you some, give you some information to protect your identities. As we see, that that's one of our core things that we need to do, protecting identities.
0: Yeah, and if you look into all that sort of tools that are available in... Uh, Azure AD is—is mm-hmm. is that the main difference uh, with other identity vendors?
1: Yeah. So if you if you look at the amount of data we gather within Microsoft around all signings, we do two, uh, and I actually think it's now a lot more. But we do an average two point four billion authentications a day. That is more a day than all our competitors do in in a year. So. There's a lot of information there about what's happening, and it's not only AD, It's also if I'm an attacker and I try to go into an Xbox, someone's Xbox account, we see that you're trying to uh, go into that account and use that information as well. And this is really something that you do not, on this scale, you do not see at any of uh, of the other vendors that are out there offering these type of solutions.
0: Yeah, great. So uh, the main the key takeaway of what we have discussed is enable a multi-factor. Yes. Start your journey to go passwordless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Microsoft is delivering a full feature set of tools to help your identity, uh, to protect your identity, and uh, to help your customers accessing all applications in a seamless way.
1: Yep. And, and that's one thing I want to point out where you said all in, all applications one of the go dos as well is connect your applications to Azure AD because if you want to leverage all this protection goodness, your app needs to be connected to Azure AD in some kind of way, which can also be for on-premises app. We have all kinds of options there.
0: And uh, there are lots of things that we can discuss, and maybe maybe we will take another a date that we have another 25 minutes. Sounds good. Okay, Stefan, thanks for having you for this moment. Uh, it was a pleasure talking with you. Likewise. I think we will pick another date to
1: dive in some other options. Sound good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks.